standard issue for all women. Hello, Mickey here. Welcome to this week's Sunday Chops, the fourth and final Chops in our Let's Talk About Death series. In case you've missed the last three and are wondering what on earth I am banging on about, we have teamed up with Macmillan again and we're going a little bit more in depth into the topics around death that we first touched on at the panel event we did with them back in May. Our first Let's Talk About Death Chops guest was the brilliant Poppy Model, founder and director of Poppy's Funerals, which is a modern day funeral company aiming to revolutionise the funeral trade and she was full of incredible insider knowledge that left me and Jen agog. In the second chops, Hannah and I spoke with Simon Thompson, restaurateur, writer and blogger, and she also just happens to be a stage four cancer patient. And Simon told us the ins and outs of living with a terminal prognosis and all that entails. She is incredible. Finally, last week, our Jen spent some time with Nikki Diaz of Cruise Bereavement, and they talked about how grief can be the absolute pits and what can be done to help ourselves or others keep our heads above water when it strikes. In this chops, I chat with Lucy Rudd, a nurse specialising in oncology and palliative care for more than 20 years, and now Lucy is an end-of-life care advisor at Macmillan. We talk about how wrapping your head around normal dying and doing some practical planning, such as, you know, writing a will or thinking about what you'd put on your bucket list earlier rather than later, can make it much, much easier to prepare for the inevitable. Also, Lucy comes out with a brilliant line, I think it's important to remember that talking about dying will not make someone die. Well, yeah, we do well to remember that. Macmillan knows that talking about death can be difficult, but having honest conversations and taking small but simple steps, such as, like I said earlier, writing a will, can help you and your family prepare emotionally, practically and financially. Macmillan Cancer Support offer a will writing service to help you take that first step in planning for the future so that you can get on with living life as fully as you can. Visit macmillan.org.uk today for information and support. And now, over to Lucy. Hello, I am at Macmillan HQ, which, just a little heads up, is directly above Vauxhall Station, so you may intermittently hear some trains going past. Cute train. And also, the lovely Lucy Rudd, who I am with, is wearing bangles, so you may hear a lovely jingle jangle as well. <laughs> Lucy is a nurse who has specialised in oncology and palliative care for 20 years, and is now advisor for end-of-life care for Macmillan. Lucy, can you tell us a little bit more about what your past job has entailed and what you do now, please? Yeah, sure. So um, that was a good summary of what I've done. Thanks very much. Uh, So yeah, I have now this year been a nurse for 20 years, which is slightly terrifying. And I started off in oncology on a ward in a busy hospital looking after people who were having chemotherapy or having various problems as a result of their chemotherapy mm-hmm. or just needing to be in hospital so not a ward where people do operations that's not really in my bag but a medical ward where with people who have cancer I worked there for a few years and then I worked in an intensive care unit for people who have cancer and learnt lots of things there I realized the thing I love most actually was looking after people who were coming towards the end of their life and yeah. Those were the the patients and the families that I just really loved looking after. And so then I moved into working on a palliative care ward. So again, in a hospital. And worked there for probably five or six years. And that was a huge learning curve. Really crazy place to work, but brilliant. And then I travelled a bit and then I became a specialist nurse in palliative care. Um, Again, working in a big, busy, acute hospital working on the palliative care team, which means that 
you provide advice so you kind of go around to see anybody in the hospital that needs you whatever's wrong with them so whether they have cancer or they don't have cancer Mm -hmm. and you go and give advice and support to the teams on the ward that looking after them worked there for 12 years and I became the lead nurse for the palliative care team there so I managed the team brilliant job huge variety of people that you meet and families it was just fantastic and then I felt like I needed a bit of a change, so here I am at Macmillan, and I'm an end-of-life care advisor, which means that I provide some support and expertise internally and externally for Macmillan around end-of-life care. What was it about palliative care that really appealed to you? I'm quite nosy, and I like people, <laughs> and people are amazing and different, and it's a huge privilege to look after somebody when they're at a vulnerable moment in their life, mm-hmm. and... You get to know people, which I like. I like relationship. I like feeling like you have a connection with somebody on some level that, you know, it feels real. It feels like in whatever moment you're in, you know that person. They get to know a bit of you. And it's just a really huge privilege, really, just to be able to look after somebody at that point. And there's also lots of things that you can do to help. So it's it's really nice to feel like... If somebody has a difficult symptom, like they might be in pain or they're feeling nauseous or they're bummed up or whatever it is that might be troubling them, there's actually lots of things you can do to make people feel better. Yeah. So that's really nice that you feel like you can do something to help. I mean, obviously you can't change that somebody's dying, but you can do things to help and you can get to know that person. I think everybody should work in palliative care because <laughs> it's, just, it's great. It's a great... Um, It's a really great job to have. What kind of reaction do you get when you meet new people and they ask what you do? Yeah, I get the sad face or the... um, Head tilt. The head tilt, yeah. yeah, And a bit of like, ooh, ooh, (laughs) ooh, I couldn't do that. Uh, I don't know how you do that. And, you know, all those kinds of things. And it's such a funny thing for people to say, really, because you just do it because you do it. And I think, I, I genuinely believe that Anybody could do it. I don't think that you have to be some special, strange kind of person because it's just about people and everybody. We're all human beings. Everybody craves human relationship. And that's essentially what nursing is, really. You know, it's about looking after people and doing something for them when they might be less able to do it for themselves. And I think we all have that in us. I think it's the words cancer and death really come up like a brick wall for a lot of people. Mm. So from your experience... Why do you think there is this taboo about talking about death? I think it's a kind of combination of things. I've been thinking about it quite a bit. And one thing is that we're just, we're less familiar with death. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's become a bit more hidden, a bit more removed from us than it would have been 50 years ago, 70 years ago. And some of that is just to do with medical advances that mean people are living longer and people tend to be in hospital more than they would be at home so in some ways the way that people die is different because we're older we're more likely to be in hospital the kind of communities that we live in are a bit different so we're much less likely to know all of our extended family Mm -hmm. so you might be less likely to know lots of older people who might be dying but it's a funny thing because in other ways nothing has changed the chances of you dying are the same now as they were 50 years ago yeah everybody is going to die but something has shifted that means we're less familiar with it we don't see it's just a step or two more removed from us than it used to be 
And I think that step away means that it becomes less familiar and anything that's less familiar becomes more frightening. So anything you don't know about is something that you might feel more nervous about or, or more fearful of. And I think we also, the kinds of death that we do see is kind of media death. You know, we see death in soaps or um, in films and that kind of death is really not a very common kind of death. It's the dramatic death on in film or it's, you know, murder on the soap or, you know, I don't know how many times uh, Phil from EastEnders has died. Like, you know, those <laughs> kinds of things. They, those are not normal <laughs> deaths. But that's the kind of death that we see. And so... Or the flip side of that is they just die off off camera yeah so we don't yeah, see we it. don't see it yeah. so so we've lost our familiarity with what is actually quite normal we're mostly exposed to the sensational stuff sensational stuff yeah. and then when you add on top of that that actually it is hard to think about loss and to think about death you know if i think oh you know i get home from work in the evening and i'm just ready to sit down and relax and have a glass of wine i don't think Oh, why don't I sit here and reflect upon how it will feel when the people I love the most in my life aren't in my life anymore? No. I I don't generally want to sit down and think about that because it's hard. There are people that I love. We all have people that we care about around us and you don't want to dwell on thinking about what your world would be like without them. Or what their world would be like without you. Yeah. I think those things have come together in this, like awful magic combination where that means that we just we, we're not going there because we don't we're not forced to we don't need to we've lost our familiarity and it's quite hard conversely is meaning that we're, we're making things harder for ourselves when the inevitable things happen because we will all lose people that we love and we will all be faced with our own deaths at some point and i think we're probably making it harder for ourselves by not thinking about the things that we could think about Okay, so I've got home from work, I've got my glass of wine, and I've decided it is time to reflect on how the world would be without me. How do you go about planning stuff like that, and then how do you go about talking to your loved ones about this topic? Yeah, so don't start with the worst thing. (laughs) Don't start with, I'm going to sit down with my glass of wine and think about how awful the world will be without me. I would say it would be awful. awful. You know, I think that's the thing that we don't have to go to the most difficult part mm-hmm. straight away. Like there are things that we can do to think about normal dying and planning a little bit that are perhaps slightly less emotionally hard than contemplating the loss of your most beloved person or yourself or you know how your family would feel. Practical things are always a bit easier, aren't they? The yeah. Emotional things. So a write a to-do list. Yeah, you can start thinking about like make a will. Most people should have a will, and that can be something that is. It feels more manageable. It feels a little bit less emotionally tense. So, if you haven't made a will, make a will, and talk to the people around you or the people that are going to be in your will so that they know that they're in, you know if you're going to make someone an executor maybe let them know that um <laughs> surprise surprise yeah so you know that's something that you can do that is quite practical and straightforward and is a way of easing into thinking about what might happen in the future and i think if you take some small steps then it can help you to work towards 
maybe some of the more difficult thinking around what mm-hmm. might happen and how you feel about things. So, you know, you don't want to immediately go to, do I want to write a letter to every single person that means something to me? Or, you know, that, that would be, that's hard. It feels you, pretty overwhelming. Yeah, and yeah. you might get to that point at some point. You might, that might be something that you want to do. But I think if you start with smaller steps... It can relieve some of the anxiety, some of the unknown about what's going to happen. I love at the moment, um, we are talking a lot about um, Catherine Mannix and her amazing book. You should definitely get her on the show. She's incredible. She's a palliative care doctor who wrote a book called With the End in Mind. Okay. And she talks a lot about this idea of normal dying, which Sima had just read it and she yeah. mentioned this as well, yeah. Which is just, it's a really helpful thing to, to think about, and particularly when you're trying to think about things that are easier to manage and smaller steps to help us start thinking a bit more about our own futures and death and dying. Catherine talks about this sort of normal dying. Sometimes I found that a bit difficult and thought, is it, is it normal? Because in some ways there are some aspects of loss and sadness that you know if if you're bereaved and you have lost someone that is you know the most important person to you in the world then nothing feels normal at that moment but maybe it's realizing that it's normal to feel that way yeah and it's okay to feel like nothing is ever going to be the same again or you know that your world may have changed in a way that nothing about that feels normal and that's true but in terms of like what actually happens when somebody dies, the actual process of people coming towards the end of their life and dying is very much normal. It's very much what happens to most people is almost identical. You know, it's not, there's not a huge variation in how people die. Could you talk us through that a little bit? Is that possible? Yeah, so like about 75% of all deaths are in some way predictable. So they're not, yeah, EastEnders style. <laughs> uh, we don't get the do do. No, no, that does not happen what? at the end. Okay, um, I'm going to record that. That's going to be part of my death. <laughs> yeah. Play this just as I'm going. <laughs> so yeah, about about seven, two thirds, seventy five percent of deaths are in some way predictable. Whether that is in the last few hours before somebody dies or the last few weeks or even the last few years it's not an unexpected event so it's the vast majority of us mm-hmm. and because everyone dies that means that we see a really similar process that happens for for most people obviously everybody is not completely identical but what happens to people is is largely very similar and Catherine talks quite a lot about that in her book so plug for for reading that if you want to um so things like you'll become more sleepy we sleep for more of the time and that will progress to us spending more time asleep than awake Mm -hmm. and it will progress to the times that you are asleep that sleep becomes more of a deeper sleep where actually you're becoming unconscious during those times so the person who's dying might be seemingly asleep for several hours and then they might wake up and not know that they've been asleep for that long because actually they're kind of becoming more unconscious and by definition that means that they are they are not conscious of what's going on around them Uh so that can be really reassuring for people who are care about that person to know that actually they're not 
deeply distressed because yeah. actually they they don't they're not conscious of what's going on. They're spending more time in a place where their their brain is just not really it's not on in the same way, and mm-hmm. they're they're not conscious of what's happening. And those periods will become longer. Um, and in the in between periods, when people wake up, they might be able to converse completely normally with you or they might feel a bit confused and that can be because parts of our body and our organs are slowly shutting down and not working in the way they normally do so things like your kidneys and your liver might not be getting rid of toxins and things in your body that they normally would so sometimes you can be a little bit confused some people aren't confused but so you might have periods where you wake up and are completely able to converse and then you sleep again for a longer period of time All of that is really normal. Those periods will become longer. And of course, if you're asleep and you're less conscious, you don't need or want to eat and drink as much as you normally would. So it's really normal that people just lose their appetite and they don't want to eat and drink things. And that is something that's often really hard for the person that's with you because we have this innate association with life, food, sustaining, you know. So it can be hard to accept that actually they don't they don't need something they don't need to eat or drink something you know obviously the people looking after somebody at that time we think about do they need to have some extra fluid would that make them more comfortable but more often than not people don't need extra fluid and extra um, food and drink at that time that's just a habit we have from our yeah, daily lives, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, and and it's just normal, you know. Imagine if you were, if you weren't in a hospital and you were going back, you know, fifty, hundred years or whatever. When somebody's dying, they stop needing to eat. Yes, yeah, it makes you know, it makes sense. It, it does. Yeah. It makes sense, but at the same time, because we're so used to it, it can be hard to to just feel comfortable with that. But I think so. Those are the kinds of things that actually talking to somebody, talking to the people who are caring for person that's dying or their loved ones talking about that can then make you go oh okay I can stop worrying about that actually yeah and things like sometimes people make noises when they're breathing it can sound like they might be groaning but actually sometimes they're just so deeply unconscious that they're not aware of the noises that they're making it can Uh sound a bit like they're snoring or you know we don't swallow our saliva in the same way because we're not really conscious so if you had a little bit of saliva in your mouth, you would cough immediately or you would swallow it or, you know, because you're aware of it, you'd be yeah. very conscious of it. As you become more unconscious, you're just not aware of it. It's not troubling you, it's not bothering you. So you might not cough and you might not swallow it. And then that might mean I can hear it. It's the unknown, isn't it? You don't yeah. know until it's happening to you. And when it is happening to you, you're not <laughs> particularly aware of it. So someone actually taking the time mm. to describe this this and this don't worry they're not hungry don't worry this person isn't thirsty don't worry that isn't them choking it's just Mm. it's all just natural what's happening takes away that mystery that is terrifying that's that's the thing that's frustrating i think as a nurse is that these things are so easy to know Mm -hmm. because it pretty much happens to all of us it's pretty much the same for everybody we can understand that we can become less frightened about those things by generally as a society talking about things a bit more Mm -hmm. maybe trying to portray some normal death on you know on the tv and becoming more you know talking about those things a bit more 
can help us to feel less frightened about stuff that is actually really normal and is going to happen to all of us. And that can give us the space that we need to consider if we want to think about some of the more difficult stuff, you know? If yeah. you want to think about talking to somebody that you have fallen out with or writing a letter or, you know, the stuff that's a bit harder... I think we have more space to think about that when we're not just putting our hand up against it and saying, this is all too terrifying, I don't understand any of it. Because lots of it we can understand and is not scary and is just really normal. If you find yourself at the Edinburgh Festival this year looking for something to do, well then look no further. Because we, Standard Issue are putting on four events at The Stand, the best comedy club in the country, if you ask us. On August the 11th and the 12th, we have two In Conversation events where our guests include the brilliant Rosie Jones, Janet Ellis, just the Janet Ellis, Laura Lex, Gemma Kearney. I know. And we do have some more people, but we just can't announce them yet. So probably the best thing to do is to get onto our website, www, let's do it the old way, www.standardissuepodcast.com com, And you will see all our live events there. You will also see the other two events that we are putting on at the Fringe, which is two stand-up nights with all female bills. They are completely brilliant. Callie Beaton and Jess Foster Q are both on at those shows. And there are, in fact, loads and loads of brilliant women on at those. You will find details of those shows at that website as well. Book yourself a ticket. Come along. It will be great. And since Hannah recorded that advert, we've also announced that on August the 11th for our In Conversation event, we have booked the incredible Phoebe Robinson. That's right, brilliantly funny American and one half of excellent podcast, Two Dope Queens. Come on now, that's got to get you getting the ticket. Obviously, you've spent a lot of time with people at the end of their lives. That's what you do. Yeah. What are the biggest regrets that people tend to have when they know that death is imminent? I mean, that is as varied as people are varied. Yep. What is incongruous about death in all the things that we've been talking about is that, on the one hand, everything is entirely predictable and normal and it's going to happen to all of us. And on the other hand, the sadness and the loss of an individual person is always devastating. What that person might be thinking and feeling and is important to them is going to be as different as every single person that, you know, I've looked after. Yeah. So some bits are identical and some bits are just completely different. So I've looked after some people who I might be talking to them about who's important to them and their family, and they may, you know, mention Uncle Bob, who I fell out with, I don't speak to him anymore or something. And then I might prompt and say, do you think that you would like to reach out to that person or would it be important to you to see them? And they might say, yeah, actually, that's really important. I think that I need to do that. But I've had just as many times where you might say that to someone and they're like, no, I definitely do. Bob's a dick. Yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm quite happy with the fact that I don't speak to Bob. I have no desire to speak to him again. I'm fine with that. Okay, well, that's fine. But what's important there is that they've had an opportunity to think about whether they want to speak to Bob. And it will be hugely varied. So I think what people regret is not having an opportunity to make some decisions for themselves Mm -hmm. about what you you do or you don't want to do. Individual regrets are just, you know, 
there's too many varieties of people to, to say what... I couldn't say what the biggest one was. I have a theory, though, which is that very few people would be like, oh, I wish I'd spent a couple more hours in the office. Yes, that is definitely true. I don't, no one has ever said that. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. You mentioned that you might take a prompt and ask a question of, would you like to reach out to that person? Would you like to do that? We had a writer called Annie Caulfield, sister of Joe Caulfield. She was amazing. And when she found out she had cancer, what the doctor asked her was, what is important to you? Yeah. And it was really important to Annie that she went and did this trip to Cambodia and spoke to this woman and wrote her story. And so they made it as possible as they could that that would be the thing that her energy could focus on. Is that something that you get to chat to people about? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what makes that harder and can be sadder is if you're having that conversation too late. Yeah. You know, so that's exactly the kind of conversation that you want to have when someone can go and do that. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's really important that we start trying to break down some of our taboos and have some of our easier conversations about normal death and planning ahead and you know think something like making a will is a great time for thinking about like a bucket list or you know stuff that you might want to do because the reality is often if I'm talking to you in your hospital bed it's probably going to be too late if what you want to do is go to Cambodia and interview somebody yeah but I mean obviously it's not going to be too late for lots of things that somebody might want to do but the earlier that we can think about those things that are important to us the more chance that you have of being able to do that so obviously it depends what your uh, what the thing is that's important to you and it's never too late for us to have conversations with people and uh, tell someone that we love them or whatever it is but how can I know what's important to you I can't you know I think as healthcare professionals we have to remember that every person that we see is different and I don't know if the person that I see in my clinic or my GP practice has this burning desire to go to Cambodia unless I ask them what's important to them unless I give them an opportunity to think about okay yeah maybe I might be approaching the end of my life maybe I have this condition whatever it may be that means I might not have as long left to live as I thought I did. You're giving someone such an amazing gift if you give them an opportunity to think about that when they can. So is that a good opener if if you found out that someone you love is poorly or if you found out that you're poorly, is that a good opener to the conversation, just asking, okay, so what's important to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great question to ask somebody. It can also, I think, take away some of the, I don't know what to say, you know, if it's someone that you, you love and is important to you, you you're both going to be sad. It might be very difficult, you know, like we said before, you don't want to go straight to the let's have our most emotional heart-to-heart conversation and say all the things that we've never said before <laughs> yeah. right now. That might be a bit much, but saying what's important to you, is there anything that you want to do, anything you want to talk about, can also really help the person that's grieving as well, I think. One of the things that is difficult when you're looking after somebody who is dying and who perhaps can't express their wishes anymore is for family members to feel like they don't know if they're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And often it's clear what the right thing to do is, but I think it can be difficult for families when they're faced with things like, I don't know if they really wanted 
Bob to come. <laughs> you know, I don't know if they really wanted to be at home. I don't know. You know, if you haven't ever talked about those things, then that can put quite a lot of anxiety upon the, the people that are looking after them to think, why well, am I doing what they would have wanted me to, to have done? Because it isn't as simple as going, oh, well, they're not here now, they'll never know. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't figure into someone's brain mm-hmm. when you're grieving. You want yeah. to be doing something you think would make yeah. that person happy or yeah. content or that's what they wanted. Absolutely. So if you can have some of those conversations before and earlier, then that will really help you to feel like you, you are doing what somebody would like you to do or you know what was important to them. Um, so I'm going to use an example here, and part of me who thinks I'm somehow a little bit magical is a tiny bit worried that I'm going to jinx things, but my mum is 70 this year. She's not poorly, which is amazing. She's, she's loving life. She's just moved in with her new fella. It's grand. But I have never had that conversation with her about how she would like things because I don't want to make her think about it, and I don't want to think about it. So how would you recommend that maybe I approach that subject? with one of the most important people in my life. I think it's important to remember that talking about dying will not make someone die. That is very yep. important to remember, <laughs> but I think most of us forget it. Yeah. <laughs> Keep that in your mind. This is not <laughs> some strange magic going to happen okay, when you do it. Right. And I think, you know, know yourself and know who you're talking to. So probably, like, for you two, maybe humour would be the right way to go, you know. Maybe say... This might be a difficult conversation. Are you up for having, you know, talking about something we don't normally talk about? And I think you also have to be prepared for she might say no. Yeah. And and that you can't force somebody to have a conversation they don't want to have. But you can also say, do you know what, Mum, actually, I would find it really helpful if we could have this conversation because I want to know what's important to you and I want you to know what's important to me. And... That might not be easy, but I would really like it if we had that conversation. We don't have to have it right now, but would it be okay if we had that conversation? So sort of put it on the radar. Yeah, put it on the radar. Try and bring in some humour. You know, it doesn't all have to be the worst possible imaginable conversation. It can just be, you know, start with the things that are a bit easier. If you start talking about it, it will get easier. Mm -hmm. You've got to start. It's just that opener, isn't it? Yeah. What, during your career as a palliative nurse and then as an end-of-life advisor, have you learned about death? I have learned that nothing will change how sad it is for those people. Mm-hmm. For you, know, you, when you lose someone that you love, or you know that you are dying and are thinking about someone's loss of you, nothing will change how sad that is but also nothing will change the inevitability of what we are all going to die. So we're faced with these things that we we can't change that, but there is still so much that you can change. You can have a conversation with someone. You can think about what's important to you. You can share that with people around you, and you can make a difference to how something will be in the end for you and for the people around you. So, you know, there's that... Again, that incongruousness of there's nothing you can do about this, but there's loads of things you can do about it, and nothing will change how sad it is. But you can leave the people that you love knowing that they knew what was important to you, that maybe you've been able to do something that was important to you. All of us can die with dignity, in peace, 
I think those things are entirely possible just by being human and caring for each other and talking about things. Preparation. Preparation. Lucy, thank you so much for chatting with us. I no feel problem. more inspired to try and have a, a jokey chat about <laughs> death with my mum. And if you're listening, she doesn't know how to download a podcast. Who am I fooling? <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. We've really enjoyed putting this series together and think that death is a fascinating and important topic that really needs to be talked about more. And if this or any of our Let's Talk About Death series has got you thinking about how and where you would like to be cared for at the end of your life, choosing the funeral you'd like, the legacy you want to leave behind, or who you want to remember in your will, Macmillan has information and resources to support the conversation and help you start it. Visit macmillan.org.uk today for information and support. Standard issue for all women.